Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we pray that you would bless this time, that you would fill this place with your spirit, that the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts might be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, confession and absolution. Something that we practice almost every Saturday night, Sunday morning. A good, wonderful gift from God. In fact, it's something that I've seen at every service I've been here at Grace. But sometimes I worry that maybe we don't understand its full significance. That we don't understand how important it is to our lives as Christians. And so today we're going to take a closer look at confession and absolution and what it means to live a life that's kind of defined by it. And in order to do that, I'd like to tell you a story today. But I have to admit that I'm not really a central figure in this story. I'm more of just a passive observer. Really, the story is about my boss, David. I was more of just a glorified paper pusher, custodian, kind of jack of all trades. Clean up the trash, bring the coffee, run some papers, that kind of thing. I'm not that important to the story. But David, David was the man. He was one of those just natural born leaders. The kind of person that could make you feel valuable just because you took out the trash. When he walked in the room, you found yourself standing just a little straighter, working just a little harder, doing the right thing a little more often. He was a man of integrity, a man of courage. He wasn't afraid to take risks, but I would never describe him as reckless. Everything he touched had a way of turning out well. I asked him once where he found this unwavering confidence, this sense that he was always doing what was supposed to be done. And without missing a beat, without any hesitation, he told me, my faith in the Lord. And no one would have questioned the sincerity of his answer. Like I said, David was the man. But lately, something had seemed a bit off. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but David just didn't seem right. I mean, he looked fine. He'd recently been married. His wife had given birth to a healthy baby boy. He had a lot to be happy about. And yet I sensed a certain sadness in him. I don't know, maybe sadness isn't even the right word. Maybe it was more like uncertainty. 
like he didn't know what to do next. For instance, one time I walked into his office and he was pacing the floor back and forth and this wasn't entirely uncommon. Like I said, David was the man. He had a lot on his plate, a lot to consider. But when I called out his name, he practically jumped. He was startled. Almost like I had caught him in the middle of something that I wasn't supposed to see. Almost like he was afraid, like he felt trapped. But before you knew it, he was back. That smile came easily to his lips. That big personality that just seemed to engulf you filled the room. But for a moment, I thought there was something there, something lurking in the back of his mind. And I don't know, maybe it was just my imagination. Maybe now that I know what happens next, I'm just trying to go back and fill in the details, make myself feel a little better, like I knew something was up. But the important part of the story happened today. You see, today, Nathan came to visit David. And maybe you don't know Nathan. Nathan is David's most trusted advisor. Whenever David has a big decision to make, he turns to Nathan. And Nathan always seems to give David exactly what he needs to hear. Not always what he wants to hear, but what he needs to hear. And today was no different. Nathan swept into the room and he gave me one of those looks that suggested I should probably leave. And so I packed up my stuff and left the room. But I have to confess to you, I didn't really leave, leave. Nathan watched me out the door, but as soon as I turned the corner, I stopped and started cleaning the area right next to the room. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I could peek around the corner the whole time and see everything that happened. I saw David sit down and for a moment, I thought his hands were fidgeting in his lap. And Nathan began to tell him a story. There were two men, he said, one rich and the other poor. Now the rich men had many herds and many flocks, but the poor man had one single lamb that he had bought. And the poor man loved that lamb. It grew up with his children. It ate from his table, it drank from his cup, it slept with him at night. He raised it like it was one of his kids. The poor man loved that lamb. And one day a certain traveler came to the rich man and the rich man didn't want to take from his flocks and herds. And so he took that little lamb from the poor man and slaughtered it and gave it to his guest. At this, David stood up from his chair, fists clenched, his kingly face stormy with pride and rage. I actually 
felt afraid as I looked on this righteous king, sure to punish any wrongdoer. So much power making me feel so insignificant. And he shouted out at Nathan, surely this man deserves to die. Even in the moment, I wasn't quite sure whether Nathan shouted back at David or whether he spoke quietly, a whisper that struck like a hammer. But either way, the words pounded into David, leaving him visibly shaken, shaking me to my very core. You are the man. David fell back into his chair, a look of horror and revulsion crossing his face, an entire lifetime seeming to pass before his eyes as those words hung in the air, my own heartbeat seeming to echo in the silence that followed, sure to give me away. And the words that came next, I can scarcely bear to repeat. A covenant, a promise broken, adultery, curses, murder, Surely not David. David could not do these things. And yet as I watched, each word seemed to strike a new blow against David. His once royal frame seemed to be withering before me. As blow after blow struck, pinning him to his chair, trapping him underneath his sin, his guilt. He looked like a caged animal, like a beast caught in a snare. This once proud, righteous king, reduced to a quivering, broken mess. As Nathan finished speaking, I could see the whole weight of his words pressing down upon David, trapping him under this avalanche of guilt and shame. In fact, I could tell that it was hard for him to get the words out, that he could barely even speak, gasping out, almost sobbing. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. And with those words, I saw a change in David. There was still hurt there, there was still pain. There was maybe even a little guilt. But that weight that had just been pressing down on him, that sin that he was trapped in, had been lifted. Maybe he didn't look quite like a king anymore. 
Maybe he looked a little bit more like a shepherd. But perhaps that was a good thing. Because that sin that had weighed so heavy on his heart had been lifted. Nathan had set David free. But Nathan had one more thing to say to David. Because of this sin, the son born to David and Bathsheba would die. The last thing I heard before closing the door, avoiding Nathan leaving the room, was David beginning to weep. Brothers and sisters in Christ, even here in the midst of this beautiful gift of confession and absolution, we see that there's a consequence for sin. David himself wouldn't experience this consequence on that day, but his son would. On this day, David wouldn't experience that consequence, but soon he too would experience it. David too would die. And this consequence of sin is still all too real in our lives. We've seen it over and over again. We've looked on in grief and agony as friends, as loved ones, as even family members within our Grace family have lost children. We've wept by the bedsides of parents and grandparents who have been taken from us far too soon. We've seen twisted heaps of metal steaming on the side of the highway. We've seen nations decimated by warfare. We've seen gunmen in schools. We've seen buildings collapsing, being torn apart by explosions, by planes. We've seen images that haunt us, that we want to forget, that make us scream out, why God? Why? If you are really so good, why does this still happen? Why is there so much suffering, so much hurt, so much death? Where are you, God? And in the midst of all that suffering, all that pain, in the midst of this world that's so enslaved to sin and death, God would provide an answer. God would not withhold His Son, but He would send His Son to this 
place of sin to this place of death, of suffering and anguish, born of a woman, David's son and yet David's Lord. He would look on as his son, the one truly innocent person to ever walk this earth, was mocked and beaten, tortured and crucified. He would give his son unto death. But three days later, he would raise his son from the dead. He would set his people free from sin and death in the blood and resurrection of his son. And so, brothers and sisters, even as the world is crumbling around us, even as we stare into that gaping maw of the tomb of death itself, we know that we have been set free by the blood of the Lamb, by the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, the crucified and resurrected Son of God. That is God's response to the pain, the suffering, the sin, and the death that plague us. And what's more, brothers and sisters, God would give that forgiveness, that freedom to His people, to His church. We read it in our gospel reading moments ago. The risen Lord Jesus Christ, to whom all authority had been given, would appear to his followers, to his disciples. He would breathe on them. He would give them the Holy Spirit. And he would say to them, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. And with these words, Christ would give his people, his church, you and me, an incredible, holy responsibility. He would give us the ability to announce forgiveness to others, to set others free from sin and death. And so when the pastor stands before you and speaks those words, in the name of Christ, I forgive you, it is as if Christ himself, hanging upon the cross, spoke those words to you, I forgive you. His blood puts away those sins again and again. Every Sunday morning or Saturday night, those words set us free again. And yet that pattern of confession and absolution isn't just meant for Sunday morning or Saturday night. Like in the story of David, this is a pattern that is meant, we are meant to embrace every day of our lives. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever the day. When we sin, we are called to confess and to receive that forgiveness, to be set free. It should be happening between individuals and pastors. It's a gift that should be happening between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between siblings, between friends and neighbors and coworkers. 
in all of our relationships, this is something that we ought to be doing day after day after day. And so like David, we are called to humble ourselves. We're called to recognize when we have sinned, when we have messed up, when we have failed. And we're called to go to our brothers and sisters, whomever it might be, and to groan out under the weight of that sin. I have sinned against the Lord and against you. And when we hear those words, whether it be from our parents, from our children, from our spouses, from our enemies, we are called with joy to respond. The Lord also has put away your sin. In the name of Christ, I forgive you. And with those words, we will set each other free. Not because of anything special in us, but because the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, has set us free from sin. Yes, one day, even from death. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen.